Section 21 of the Underground Railroad, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Underground Railroad, Part 5, by William Still. Section 21. Portraits and Sketches. Thomas Shipley, Part 2. The freedom of the husband and father was, however, still in jeopardy. If the decision of the court should be against him, he would be torn from the bosom of his now joyful and emancipated family, and consigned to a life of bondage. To avert this calamity, the counsel for the prisoner suggested an expedient as humane as it was ingenious. He proposed that a writ of certiorari, which would oblige the judge to remove the case to the Supreme Court, and a habeas corpus from the chief justice of the state, should both be in readiness when the decision of the judge should be pronounced, in case that if it should be unfavorable, the writs might be at once served, and the prisoner remanded to the sheriff of the county, to be brought up before the Supreme Court at Trenton for another trial. To procure these writs, it was necessary to obtain the signature of the chief justice of New Jersey, who resided at Newark, and again Thomas Shipley was ready to enter with alacrity into the service. He saw the importance of the measure, and that it would require prompt action, inasmuch as the decision of the judge would probably be pronounced on the following day. It fortunately happened that a friend was just about leaving for Newark in his own conveyance, and feeling an interest in the case, he kindly invited friend Shipley to accompany him. They left in the afternoon, travelled all night, and arrived at Newark by daylight the following morning. The weary traveller was unwilling, however, to retire to bed, although the night was exceedingly cold and tempestuous, but he proceeded at once to the house of the Chief Justice. He called the worthy judge from his bed, offering the importance of his business, and the necessity of speedy action, as an apology for so unseasonable a visit. Chief Justice Hornblower, on being informed of the circumstances of the case, expressed his pleasure at having it in his power to accede to his wishes, and treated him with a respect and kindness which the disinterested benevolence of his mission was calculated to inspire. Having obtained the necessary papers, he left at once for Mount Holly, where he arrived on the following day, in time to place the writs in the hands of the sheriff, just before the decision of Judge H. was pronounced. Had he consulted his ease or convenience, and deferred his visit to Newark a few hours, or had he, as most men under similar circumstances would have done, reposed his weary limbs after a cold and dreary ride of eighty miles, in order to enable him to return with renewed strength, he would have arrived too late to render this meritorious effort effectual. As it was, he was there in time. The judge, according to the expectation of the friends of the colored man, gave his decision in favor of the slaveholders, and ordered poor Alexander to be given up to the tender mercies of the exasperated claimant. The decision sent a thrill of indignation through the anxious and excited multitude, which perhaps was never equaled amongst the inhabitants of that quiet town. The friends of humanity had assembled from all parts of the country to witness the proceedings in the case. Many of them were personally acquainted with the prisoner. They knew him to be a man of intelligence and integrity. He was an industrious and orderly citizen, and was universally respected in the neighborhood. 
he was now about to be made a slave and was declared to be the property of another the father was about to be torn from his helpless children the husband in defiance of the divine command was to be wrested from the fond embrace of his sorrowing wife to spend his days in misery and toil and this was to be done before the eyes of those who had a just regard for human rights a hearty hatred of oppression is it wonderful that under such circumstances there should have been a deep abhorrence for the perpetrators of this outrage upon humanity and a general sympathy for the innocent captive but it was decreed that those feelings of honest indignation should be speedily supplanted by the warm outpouring of public gratitude and joy while the feeling of the spectators was in this state of intense interest and excitement the judge stern and inflexible in his purposes and the clan of greedy claimants ready to seize upon their prey the sheriff produced his writ of certiorari and handed it to the court it was instantly returned and the judge who sat unmoved by a scene to which he was not unaccustomed and conceiving perhaps that his official dignity was impugned persisted in his determination that the prisoner should be handed over to the claimant the prudence and foresight of thomas shipley and his friends had provided however for this anticipated difficulty happily for the prisoner he was yet embraced under the provision of that constitution which secured to him the protection of a habeas corpus and this threw around him a shield which his enemies could not penetrate a writ of habeas corpus signed by the chief justice of the state and demanding the body of the prisoner before the supreme court at its next term was now produced the astonished judge found himself completely foiled he had exercised his authority to its utmost limit in support of the claims of his slaveholding friends and had given the influence of his station and character to bolster up the patriarchal institution but it was all in vain just as they supposed they had achieved a victory they were obliged with fallen crests to succumb to the dictates of a higher tribunal and to see their victim conveyed beyond their reach in the safe-keeping of the sheriff in the third month march the case was brought up before the supreme court for final adjudication in the meantime thomas shipley adopted vigorous measures to have the facts collected and arranged he procured the aid of an intelligent and humane friend of the cause who resided near trenton to attend personally to the case and secured the legal services of theodore frelinghuysen well known as one of the most gifted and virtuous statesmen of the age and as a warm and zealous friend of the oppressed under these happy auspices the case came before the supreme court and gave rise to a highly interesting and important argument in which the distinguished Frelinghuysen appeared as the disinterested advocate of the prisoner and urged upon the court his claim to liberty under the laws of new jersey in a speech which was one of his most brilliant and eloquent efforts and added another to the many laurels which his genius and philanthropy have achieved the opinion of chief justice hornblower was given at length and is said to have displayed a soundness and extent of legal knowledge with a spirit of mildness and humanity well worthy of the highest judicial tribunal of new jersey by this decision alexander helmsley was declared to be a free man and returned with rejoicing into the bosom of his family and to the enjoyment of the rights and privileges of a free citizen thus terminated this interesting case which for several months agitated the public mind of burlington county to an extent almost unequalled 
such disinterested devotion to the defense of the rights of the oppressed had it been displayed only in the instance recited would be sufficient to enroll the name of thomas shipley on the list of the benefactors of his race but when we consider that for a period of twenty years his history abounds in similar incidents and that he uniformly stood forth as the unflinching advocate of the oppressed regardless of the sacrifices which he was obliged to make on their behalf we are disposed to view him as one of that noble band whose lives have been consecrated to deeds of charity and benevolence and whose names will illumine the moral firmament so long as virtue and truth shall command the homage of mankind thomas shipley was one of the founders of the american anti-slavery society and was an active agent in those stirring movements which soon aroused the nation to a full consideration of the enormities of slavery he was a prominent member of the anti-slavery convention which assembled in this city in eighteen thirty three and a signer of their declaration of sentiments during the last few years of his life he was more devotedly engaged in his abolition labors than at any previous period it was his constant desire to diffuse the principles which had been so fearlessly proclaimed by the convention and to encourage the formation of anti-slavery societies throughout the sphere of his influence he was one of the most prominent members of the philadelphia anti-slavery society which was formed through much opposition in eighteen thirty five and he adhered steadily to its meetings notwithstanding the threats which were so loudly made by the enemies of public order in the midst of the popular commotions and tumults which marked the progress of anti-slavery principles he stood calm and unmoved having been long known as a firm friend of the rights of the colored man and being amongst the most efficient public advocates of his cause he was of course subjected to the revilings which were so liberally heaped upon the abolitionists at that time his name was associated with that of tappan burney green jay garrison and other leading abolitionists who were singled out by slaveholders and their abettors as fit subjects for the merciless attacks of excited mobs in several attempts which were made in this city to stir up the passions of the ignorant against the advocates of human rights his person and property were openly threatened with assault such menaces failed however to deter him from the steady performance of what he believed to be a solemn duty being fully satisfied of the truth of the principles which he had espoused he relied with unwavering confidence upon divine power for their ultimate triumph and for the protection of those who advocated them when his friends expressed their anxiety for his safety he always allayed their apprehensions and evinced by the firmness and benignity of his manner that he was divested of the fear of man and acted under the influence of that spirit which is from above the active part which thomas shipley took in anti-slavery movements did not diminish his interest in the prosperity and usefulness of the old pennsylvania society he was a steady attendant on its meetings and exercised his wonted care on all subjects connected with its interests a short time previous to his death his services were acknowledged by his fellow members by his election to the office of president the incessant and fatiguing labors in which he was engaged had sensibly affected the vigor of a constitution naturally delicate and rendered him peculiarly liable to the inroads of disease he was seized in the autumn of eighteen thirty six with an attack of intermittent fever 
which confined him to the house for ten or twelve days, and very much reduced his strength. While recovering from this attack, he experienced an accession of disease which terminated his life in less than twenty-four hours. But a few hours before his death, he inquired of his physicians as to the probable issue of his case. When informed of his critical condition, he received the intelligence with composure, and immediately requested Dr. Attlee, who was by his side, to take down some directions in regard to his affairs on paper. In a few minutes after this, he quietly lapsed into the sleep of death, in the morning on the 17th of ninth month, 1836. His last words were, I die at peace with all mankind, and hope that my trespasses may be as freely forgiven as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. To all who knew him well, of whatever class in the community, the tidings of this unexpected event brought a personal sorrow. It was felt that a man of rare probity and virtue had gone to his reward. But to the colored people the intelligence of his death was at once startling and confounding. Their whole community was bowed down in public lamentation, for their warmest and most steadfast friend was gone. They repaired in large numbers to the house of their benefactor to obtain a last glance at his lifeless body. Parents brought their little ones to the house of mourning, and as they gazed upon the features of the departed, now inanimate in death, they taught their infant minds the impressive lesson that before them were the mortal remains of one who had devoted his energies to the disenthrallment of their race, and whose memory they should ever cherish with gratitude and reverence. When the day arrived for committing his remains to the grave, the evidence of deep and pervading sorrow among these wronged and outraged people was strikingly apparent. Thousands, whose serious deportment and dejected countenances evinced that they were fully sensible of their loss, collected in the vicinity of his dwelling, anxious to testify their respect for his memory. Theirs was not the gaze of the indifferent crowd, which clusters around the abodes of fashion and splendor, to witness the pomp and circumstance attendant on the interment of the haughty or the rich. It was a solemn gathering brought together by the impulse of feeling, to mingle their tears and lamentations at the grave of one whom they had loved and revered as a protector and a friend. When the hearse arrived at the quiet burial place in Arch Street, where the friends for many generations have buried their dead, six colored men carried the body to its last resting place, and the silent tear of the son of Africa over the grave of his zealous friend was more expressive of real affection than all the parade which is sometimes brought so ostentatiously before the public eye. In the expressive words of the leading newspaper of the day, Aaron Burr was lately buried with the honors of war, Thomas Shipley was buried with the honors of peace. Let the reflecting mind pause in the honorable contrast. As a public speaker, Thomas Shipley was clear, cogent, sometimes eloquent, and always impressive. He never attempted oratorical effect or studied harangues. He generally spoke extemporaneously, on the spur of the occasion, and what he said came warm from the heart. It was the simple and unadorned expression of his sentiments and feelings. He was, however, argumentative and even logical when the occasion required it. When intensely interested, his eye was full of deep and piercing expression. Although his education had been limited, and his pursuits afforded him but little leisure time, 
yet he indulged his fondness for reading and exhibited a refined literary taste in his selections he has left amongst his books and papers eight manuscript volumes of about one hundred and fifty pages each filled with selections copied in his own handwriting and culled from the writings of many of the most gifted authors both in poetry and prose these extracts are generally of a moral and religious cast and include scraps from young milton addison burns cowper watts akenside pope byron hemans and many others in the domestic and social circle his conversation was animated and instructive and always tempered by that kindness and amenity of manners which endeared him to his family and friends he was no bigot in religion while a firm believer in the doctrines of the gospel as maintained by the orthodox society of friends he yet held that religion was an operative principle producing the fruits of righteousness and peace in all of whatever name who are sincere followers of our lord jesus christ in conclusion we may add that more than most men he bore about with him the sentiment of that old roman nihil humanum alienum ami puto while he added to it the higher thought of the christian that he who loveth god loveth his brother also we need not dwell upon the life of such a man to-day after the lapse of more than a generation his memory is fresh and green in the hearts of those who knew him and who still survive to hand down to their children the story of the trials of that eventful period in our history to the memory of thomas shipley president of the pennsylvania abolition society who died on the seventeenth of ninth month eighteen thirty six a devoted christian and philanthropist by john g whittier gone to thy father's heavenly rest the flowers of eden round thee blowing and on thine ear the murmurs blest of shiloh's waters softly flowing beneath that tree of life which gives to all the earth its healing leaves in the white robe of angels clad and wandering by that sacred river whose streams of holiness make glad the city of our god forever gentlest of spirits not for thee our tears are shed our sighs are given why mourn to know thou art a free partaker of the joys of heaven finished thy work and kept thy faith in christian firmness unto death and beautiful as sky and earth when autumn's sun is downward going the blessed memory of thy worth around thy place of slumber growing but woe for us who linger still with feebler strength and hearts less lowly and minds less steadfast to the will of him whose every work is holy for not like thine is crucified the spirit of our human pride and at the bondsman's tale of woe and for the outcast and forsaken not warm like thine but cold and slow our weaker sympathies awaken darkly upon our struggling way the storm of human hate is sweeping hunted and branded and a prey our watch amidst the darkness keeping oh for that hidden strength which can nerve unto death the inner man oh for thy spirit tried and true and constant in the hour of trial prepared to suffer or to do in meekness and in self-denial oh for that spirit meek and mild derided spurned yet uncomplaining 
by man deserted and reviled, yet faithful to its trust remaining, still prompt and resolute to save from scourge and chain the hunted slave, unwavering in the truth's defense, e'en where the fires of hate are burning, the unquailing eye of innocence alone upon the oppressor turning. O loved of thousands, to thy grave, sorrowing of heart, thy brethren bore thee, the poor man and the rescued slave wept as the broken earth closed o'er thee and grateful tears like summer rain quickened its dying grass again and there as to some pilgrim shrine shall come the outcast and the lowly of gentle deeds and words of thine recalling memories sweet and holy o oh, for the death the righteous die an end like autumn's day declining on human hearts as on the sky with holier tenderer beauty shining as to the parting soul were given the radiance of an opening heaven as if that pure and blessed light from off the eternal altar flowing were bathing in its upward flight the spirit to its worship going end of section twenty one